in a book that I read called The 12-Week Year, the authors talk about a concept they called greatness in the moment. And to me, that's really what work ethic means. It's greatness in the moment, bringing your best every day, winning the day. Occasionally, it's about 80-hour weeks. But usually, it's about bringing the best you have to what you're doing on a daily basis. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a terrific guest to share with you today. Dan Cassetta helps build a dynamic culture of synergy and growth in sales teams, mastermind groups, and among his friends and colleagues around the United States. As a respected and trusted business leader, Dan has had a profound impact on thousands of entrepreneurs, leaders, and salespeople over the past 25 years. During his career with the Vector Marketing Cutco Sales Organization, Dan became the most successful and influential field manager in the nearly 70-year history of Cutco. And his programs for leading and developing teams were integral in sparking the company's rapid growth and expansion. Eventually, Dan's company created a role for him to coach and mentor top sales reps, managers, and executives from across much of the country. He teaches skills like selling, leadership, financial well-being, and personal development to the company's top talent. Dan graduated from Santa Clara University in the Silicon Valley. He is a regular guest speaker in business classes at universities throughout the Bay Area, and he is welcomed into multiple companies to share insights in the areas of sales training, leadership development, and creating a culture of collaboration, growth, and success. He also hosts a mastermind group containing some of the most successful CEOs and executives in the Silicon Valley, and he participates in other such gatherings of leaders all across the country. Personally, Dan is a husband, father of two, trusted to many, and gives back to his community and others. His passion is in adding value to the world and leaving positive ripples everywhere he goes. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Dr. Richard. Great to be here. So I think it's fitting that you're here because we've had John Berghoff on the show and we've had Hal Elrod on the show. And how exciting to have the guy that mentored both of them. Pretty cool. It was pretty cool working with those guys. Yeah, I, I, I've heard some of the stories that they've shared about their time there. But you know what's interesting, and you know that I love to find out people's whys and kind of go back to the beginning. I know that you got involved in Cutco at the age of 17. That's kind of when things started for you. But I also know that personal development has always been a big piece of who you are. So talk to us about that and we'll move forward. Yeah, sure. So um, when I was 17, I had just finished high school and I was working at a movie theater as my job. I didn't get paid very much. Minimum wage back then was $4.85 an hour, I believe. 
And um, I was getting ready to start college and just thought to myself that it would be worthwhile for me to work a job where I could actually learn something. And so I, you know, kind of kept on the lookout for something like that. And sort of by dumb luck, I found the opportunity to work with uh, the Cutco sales organization with Vector Marketing and was able to get started uh, with that uh, with that company and did well uh, throughout my years in college. In the company, uh, my original manager um, was a big fan of Tony Robbins. And he recommended to me that I go see Tony Robbins one time. He said, hey, this guy's coming to town. Uh, you, you should go see the seminar. It's going to be really good. And he kind of introduced me to Tony Robbins before Tony Robbins was nearly as famous as he is now. And I said, okay, cool. What do I got to do? He's like, well, you got to buy a ticket and we'll go. And it's like, okay, it's 600 bucks. And I kind of laughed like, <laughs> like I'm really going to do that. And he coerced me that it would be worth my while to fork out $600 to go see Tony Robbins do his uh, UPW you know, seminar here in San Jose, California. And I went. And I can say that that experience certainly changed my life. Not so much what I got from Tony Robbins, of course, it was good, but the experience of doing personal development and learning new things and learning things that I was excited to share with other people is what really set me on a track of continual, uh, continual personal development that I've been, in, uh, been on uh, ever since then. So that's kind of how my experience evolved with that. So talk to us then about how you've been able to apply personal development into your time at Cutco and beyond. We'll, we'll delve into more specifics as we go. Yeah. So I just love the idea of sharing good ideas with other people. I enjoy that part of my job and my life um, so much. It's really probably my biggest why is you know, sharing with other people, help trying to help improve the lives of others. And so as I started learning from people like Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and so many others of the uh, old school personal development gurus that were you know, most famous back then, I wanted to share it with other people. And so I began implementing some segment of the teaching I was doing in my Cutco career began to be not related to selling knives or selling anything related to Cutco, but began to be uh, how to be a better person, uh, how to set goals, you know, how to have a better attitude, how to think more constructively, and uh, the how, how to be more motivated, how to sustain that. And all of these things became a part of my teachings. So at every meeting that I would run, There'd be some stuff about selling, of course, but there would be other stuff that was more about life. And I developed what I called my key staff, which was sort of my inner circle. This is a group that people like John Berghoff and Hal Elrod would have been a part of when they were with me. And I'd have meetings every couple of weeks with, those, with that group that was primarily centered on personal development. And then as I evolved to speak at bigger events in the company, pretty much all of the messages I would give would center on some element of personal development. So that's how it became a part of my Cutco career. I think that's exceptional because you were taking those things that you learned and you said that you were applying them to your your key staff, which was your inner circle. And you were rising through the ranks at Cusco. So talk about your success within Cutco and Vector Marketing. Yeah, so I was a sales rep when I was 17 years old. And then um, within a year, I became what was called an assistant manager. And then while I was still in college, 
I became what was called a branch manager. I was the number one branch manager in the company in the summer between my junior and senior year of college. So when I graduated from college a year later, and I was thinking about what to do next, I realized, well, I'm pretty good at this. I might as well make this my first career. And so I became what was called a district manager. And turns out it's been my only career. Um, the company has you know, somewhere between 300, 400 or so year-round permanent offices. And then we also open up a bunch of branches every summer. And um, during an 11-year stretch, my office was number one in the company five years out of 11. And every other year, we were either second or third or fourth. So we had a very high track record of success at the office level. And ultimately, I was able to run the entire Bay Area. Um, and then now I run the entire Western region uh, out here, which is all the the Western states. And so I, you know, I was able to become the most successful field manager in the history of the company and uh, been able to train and develop a lot of others who have done well and been successful as well. I think about 12 other people underneath my tutelage have become a national champion at some level within the company during the time that they were working with me. So it's a little about my, my career here in, uh, in Cutco. It's fantastic. And I wonder if you could share, you, you certainly talked about how you would bring personal development into the meetings, but there's obviously a number of elements that contribute to one's success. What were some of the other things as you think back to your time at Cutco that really helped elevate your game and make you as successful as you were? I think that it starts with a sincere desire to help and be of service to other people. This is one of those concepts that can sound trite, but it truly is one of the most important things that great leaders uh, have a sincere desire to help others and that people can tell when that's how you view other people, that you really want to help anyone else to have the best experience they can have uh, for their own personal benefit, that you're in it for the people around you. And I feel like I've always had that sincere belief, probably indoctrinated into me by some of my own mentors early on. And the people that have worked with me could tell a high skill level in terms of influencing uh, would be another one because there's people who are, you know, good at creating a lot of hype, but uh, long-term influence is not necessarily something that uh, everybody's great at. And it's one of the most important skills that I think has helped me to do well. Uh, working in uh, in the company, and then uh, mental attitude. You know, I've always been able to bounce back pretty quickly from challenge or adversity, and uh, have really developed a level of thinking that enables me to quickly redirect any negative experience into what is the seed of benefit here, what are the opportunities here, and quickly move on. Uh, to figure out where I go from there and, and you know what my next steps are to be successful. Dan, I'd love to jump back to what you mentioned about influence. You, you said that you know a lot of people can get people hyped up, but it's creating and sustaining long-term influence. So take us through some of the key points of doing that. Wow. Well, this is a, a pretty deep question. It is, that, uh, no, we no could doubt. Certainly, <laughs> we could certainly spend a lot of time on this one. To me, there are a number of things that create influence. And one of the first things is our ability to connect at a very personal level with other people. Simple concepts like you might have learned from 
Dale Carnegie about common grounding and genuine interest and um, listening skills are all important. Uh, but ultimately, we have to have a deep connection with other people. And, and that circles back to that idea that they can tell that you have their best interest in mind. I think that uh, a, a simple part of influence is, of course, uh, what we say and how we talk. In fact, John Berghoff and I collaborated on a book with a bunch of other Cutco people uh, a number of years ago called Cutting Edge Sales. And, and I wrote a chapter that was basically about our, the use of language and influence. And this is things like, you know, uh, appreciating people, providing sincere compliments to people so that people feel good uh, when they're around you. I think that it, when people feel good when they're around you, they're more open to your influence. And, you know, how we make people feel on a day-to-day basis is, is crucial, making people feel important, building people up. There's also something Anthony Robbins teaches called framing skills that I think are an important element of influence. And that could be a whole nother topic. Um, I feel like our our body language is a part of influence. You often develop a feeling about somebody within the first few seconds just by their countenance, if they're smiling, and how you feel when you see them. And I think that's a part of influence. I think a part of uh, you know our body language or demeanor is that that our is what I would call congruency, which means that our words must match our demeanor so that people, when, when you say something, people feel like, okay, he or she really believes that and, and therefore they're more convinced. I would also say like our own example is one of the most critical areas in which we influence other people. Uh, the best way to lead others is through example. If we want people to work hard, they should see us willing to work hard and do what it takes. Uh, if we want people to act with integrity, they should see, you know, us having a hundred percent level of integrity. So those are some of the things I think really help open uh, the doors for influence to happen where somebody wants to follow you and wants to listen to what you have to say. You know, Dan, you said that that was a loaded question, but I absolutely love the response that you gave. So thank you for sharing that. But I want to transition us and talk about some of the things that you're doing outside of Cutco. Yeah. So I'm running the Western region with Cutco, but uh, I also have other things that I that I do uh, outside of Cutco that I'm interested in uh, in doing that uh, are important to me. So I uh, I enjoy uh, networking with a lot of other great people, and I do that in a number of ways. That you, you've you know you and I met at uh, one of John Berghoff and Hal Elrod's events, and uh, I certainly would be considered a regular for anything that uh, John Berghoff and Hal Elrod are doing because those are awesome opportunities and I've been able to speak at some of their events. I participate in uh, several different mastermind groups, one of which I host. And uh, the one that I host sort of came about as an idea where I said, I want to get some of the most successful people I've ever met in my life and just get them in the same room and get them talking to each other and get them interacting and bring some you know key discussion questions that we could talk about that will enable us all to grow and learn from. And so uh, I hatched a group with a mentor of mine who's a real icon out here in the Silicon Valley. And we got some tech CEOs and some venture capitalists and other financial wizards and people who are one in a million in their field in a variety of different fields and got them together. And that's something that I spend some time 
doing as well. I'm, I'm on the board of a nonprofit as well that supports literacy for children in underserved uh, areas in 14 markets across the U.S. Those are just a few things that uh, outside of my work that I do. And then, of course, I've got two little kids and that's a uh, you know, full-time, uh, full-time engagement all in and of itself. A full-time engagement would be an understating of the facts for sure with two young children. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. And I know one of the things that you also did was you you co-authored a book with Jack Canfield. So I'd I'd like to spend some time talking about that book. Yeah, great. So Jack does a project uh, about once a year where he gets together a group of people and uh, each person contributes a chapter to a book. And um, I decided I wanted to participate in this in this program uh, a little over a year ago, got myself selected to be part of the program and uh, contributed a chapter to this book. The book is called Success Starts Today. Uh, It was released uh, recently and there are 24 different authors, 24 different chapters. So as you can imagine, it covers a wide variety of topics and it's really all over the map. And uh, my chapter is essentially about creating culture in an organization, not just a work organization, but in a family, in any group, on any team. Um, I listened to your podcast with David Osborne, who I've also met, and he said, winning and success is a culture. And we've all probably heard the phrase, you know, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. And I think that it, the, the culture that's created on any team is one of the most crucial things that helps lead to success. So I wanted to offer up some foundational concepts that I feel uh, have helped with some of the teams that I've built uh, in creating a great culture in the organization. So that was my contribution to uh, the book with Jack. So take us through in your chapter, which is titled, and I love it, Selling Knives and Changing Lives. There's a really great story in this about, you know, one summer and your team's goal to be number one. Take us through that story because I think it's terrific. Yeah, well, this was when I was a branch manager. I was still in college, and um, the company opens up these branches every summer. It's an 18-week-long competition. Somebody gets to run a sales office for the summertime and build and um, recruit and train their own team. So as I said, it's an 18-week-long competition, and I had done this the summer before, and I think I finished 26th in the nation the summer before. And I just realized if I do this a second time, I could really do it well. I could be number one. So we set a goal to be number one. I spent a year preparing uh, you know, for this second summer to do this again. And uh, we started out, did okay at the out- outset, um, but an office in Wisconsin did a lot better than okay at the outset and took a pretty big lead. And about halfway through the race, we were in fifth place. 
And we were uh, very far behind this other office, $66,000 in sales, which back in those days was a significant margin for us to make up in a, in a nine-week period. And we closed the gap, and then we were down by 11000 with one week to go. And the last week, there are so many stories that I, I could fill a podcast with you just with the stories that uh, happened in the last week. But among other things, you know, we had a guy come into our office the very last day who we hadn't seen for a while. And he said, hey, you know, what's going on? Did we win? And we're like, it's the last day right now. And he's like, oh, I have an order to turn in. We're like, where have you been? And he said, oh, I was sick. I had the stomach virus. I was in the hospital and I almost died. And, um, you know, but I'm here now. And like, you know, I wanted, uh, I wanted, I wanted to come in and see how we did. <laughs> and he literally came from the hospital the day it was released and, you know, came into the office to see how we had done. Turned in an order. We got him to call his sister and sell another $28 order over the phone that night and we you know turned in turned in everything that we had sold that night and that was the end of our competition and then uh, we waited a few days for the final results and then when the final results came out we had actually beat the office in Wisconsin by $12 wow you know over $300,000 in sales and we beat them by that margin so it literally literally every order made the difference every person made the difference and it was an awesome experience for me to have been part of a team that accomplished something like that in the way that we did. And there were a lot of things I think I learned that have been, you know, part of who I've become as a as a manager and as a leader uh, within the company and and outside as well since then. So, what were some of those other things that you learned during that experience over the summer that have made such a huge impact on you since that time? Yeah. So in, in the chapter, one of the things I talk about is integrity to one's word and the concept that trust is the foundational element of success in any organization, any group. And it's so important to catch ourselves at those times where we don't have integrity to our word. Something as simple as like being late. And we have to realize how people emulate us and also how it makes people feel if they detect any sense of a lack of 100% integrity. So that element is one of the first things I think is critical. I also talk about what I call a spirit of cooperation, which is one of the things I think I learned from that summer, you know, way back as a college student, is that any significant goal happens when a lot of people care about the goal. And to get people to care about something that's not just their own income or their own achievement is not necessarily an easy thing to do. Uh, it starts with that element of trust that I described before. It also uh, happens through uh, involvement or engagement in the, the planning of the goals and the achievement of the goals and making sure that you know different team members feel like they're a part of the vision and they're part of creating the vision. And there's a lot of strategies and ways to do that that are important. I also in the chapter talk about work ethic, which isn't necessarily working 80 hours in a week, um, but is more about concept that I call a sense of urgency, which is that every day is important, right? Jim Rohn used to say a day is a piece of the mosaic of your life. And I used to think about like, you don't want a blank rock in your mosaic, an unpainted stone in the middle of your colorful mosaic, right? And respecting every day and bringing the best we can to every day in a book that I read called The 12-Week Year, the authors talk about a concept they called greatness in the moment. And to me, that's really what work ethic means. It's greatness in the moment, bringing your best every day, winning the day. Occasionally, it's about 80-hour weeks. But usually, it's about bringing the best you have 
to what you're doing on a daily basis. And that's one of the things I talk about. There's also a section where I talk about what I call a positive focus, which is essentially how we handle all the day-to-day adversities and problems that come up. I think that's probably one of the most important things I've learned uh, in terms of attitude uh, as a human and as a leader. And then uh, I, I end it by talking about a desire for personal growth and that being an important element of culture. And that's something that we've already talked about a little bit here today that I feel is important to to bring into any organization where everybody develops that desire for growth, for learning, for sharing with other people what they're learning and for impacting the world beyond just what they're doing you know, in their work on a daily basis. I love those five points. And, and it's interesting. The work ethic in particular is a little different spin on things than, than most people would think. You know, some people say, no, work ethic isn't the 80 hours. It's working smart, not working hard. But that's not at all what you're saying. What you're saying is it's showing up to give it your all to whatever the demands are at that exact moment in time every day. That's work right. ethic. Right. And I wanted to just dive in a little bit more to positive focus. Obviously, you're a very positive person. But for somebody who's listening to this and maintaining a positive focus is challenging for them, either they've started a new business or they're having some struggles getting one off the ground, whatever the case may be, what are some tips you would give the audience about how to maintain that positive focus over time? Well, a lot of people feel like when they're experiencing challenges that the challenges are unique to them, that these aren't challenges that are happening to everybody else. We look around and we tend to see the people in our lives who are doing really well and wish like, ah, oh, I wish everything could be the way it is for them, for me. And we don't see all the challenges that, that those people are experiencing on a day-to-day basis. We don't really realize it because successful, positive people don't go around complaining and talking about negative things. So you might make the mistake of thinking, well, they don't have the same challenges. But the reality is every one of us who's successful, I'm sure this is true of you, Dr. Richard. It's true for me, for sure. Every single one of us who's successful has a lot of challenges, has a lot of negative things that happen, has a lot of difficult experiences in life. And they can range from difficulties in our business, you know, low periods of sales or income to health challenges to the death of someone close to us. And, uh, you know, we, we all experience these different things. And being uh, in a negative state of mind about the things that are challenging in our life is not going to change that they're there. It's not going to help us move forward. What's important is that we learn to respond to any difficult situation in a way that is constructive that's constructed, that's going to actually help us move forward. So I think questions like, what can I learn from this situation? That's an important thing to start thinking about when you're in a difficult situation. What can I learn? Where's the silver lining in this situation, right? Tim Ferriss teaches to ask, what is the opportunity in this situation, right? Because there's always some kind of opportunity that, that, that is born out of difficulty. What should be my next steps to get back on track? That quickly focuses our mind on, well, what am I going to do right now? There was a a man I saw speak, a very old man that I saw speak many years ago in Sacramento, California. And he taught whenever a challenge comes up, a question he would ask himself, which um, the the people that are in my organization have heard me uh, teach this probably a hundred times, is the question, am I going to die right now? It's kind of a funny thing to think about, right? Am I going to die right now? 
Now, with almost every single challenge that comes up, the answer to that question is no, of course, I'm not, not going to die right now. So if, if I'm not going to die right now, then whatever this challenge is, I can handle it. I can overcome. It might not be easy, but the answers are there. The path is there. What I need to do is train my mind to look for those answers, to look for that path, not to complain, and to get myself to move forward. That element, that way of thinking is critical for success for anyone. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, and we're, we're getting short on time, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about this because I know that you have a passion for poker and consider yourself kind of this amateur poker player, <laughs> but, but talk to us about, I, I, and, and I, and I, I know we're, we're laughing, but it, it's interesting because there are probably a lot of these life strategies and things you've been talking about over the past half hour that can be applied to poker and things from <laughs> poker that can be applied to business. So talk to us for a few minutes about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. I've, I've always <laughs> wanted to do a speech at one of our events called things I've learned from poker that apply to business and life. Not sure uh, it would fly, but uh, anyway, um, you know, about 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago or so, I played for the first time, you know, uh, seriously played Hold'em in a casino. And I realized that this was something that I could get really good at real fast. I I felt like the skill set to be good in poker involves a lot of people skills. It involves some mathematical analytical ability. And it also involves a, a high level of emotional control. And I felt like these are all things I'm good at. I can figure out how to be pretty good at this game. So I took it pretty seriously for a few years and I became pretty good pretty fast and have had a lot of significant positive experiences in, in terms of winning tournaments. And I think I've won 21 or 22 tournaments at this point and certainly have net profited hundreds of thousands of dollars from this hobby that I've had you know, over the past 10 or 12 years. Now, admittedly, I play a lot less now that I have kids um, than I did before I have kids. Um, my kids are four and one. So the, the last four years, my my playing has been curtailed significantly, but I still enjoy it. I'm still passionate about it. And it's, it's still something that is really fun for me to do. And there are a lot of valuable lessons, uh, Dr. Richard, that come from playing this game. Uh, I, I mentioned the element of emotional control. That's a huge one because you experience these sways in results, right? Because there is an element of luck to the game too. I mean, once the money's in the middle, there's one card left and you have a you know 90% chance to win 10% of the time, the card's going to come that you lose on, right? And you have to learn how to handle that and deal with that and be able to move forward in that game without letting that affect uh, how you perform going forward. People skills is a huge part of it as well. Uh, and, and being able to, to develop an innate understanding of like, what is this person's frame of mind right now? And how is that affecting their actions? And I think that applies in life as well. And there are a number of other things. And it turns out it's been a pretty cool networking opportunity for me because I've been sitting in some, you know, really big games with some of the most successful people in the Silicon Valley and uh, met a lot of interesting people through through this hobby as well. So it's been a cool experience for me overall playing the game. Very cool, Dan. And we are all eagerly awaiting for your workshop on poker skills and how to apply them in the business setting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have greatly enjoyed our, our chat today. It's been awesome having you on. As you know, I wrap up all my shows by asking my guests their single biggest helping, and that is, what is the one piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing your episode with me today? 
the piece of information I would leave uh, with today is the idea that most of the emotions and most of the states of mind that we experience in our life are based on choice. So my four-year-old comes home from school and she says, you know, Layla made me sad today, right? And this describing one of her little friends at school. And I try teaching her, even as a four-year-old, hey, listen, Kiana, Layla does not have the ability to make you feel anything, right? She might do something uh, that you don't like, but you have the ability to choose how you feel. Now, a four-year-old doesn't get that too well, but the, the more she hears it, the more she will get it. It's so important that we recognize that we have a choice over our emotions and our states of mind at all moments throughout every single day and catch ourselves in the moments where we're choosing a poor response and learn to choose a better, more constructive response, something that leads to the emotions we want, something that leads to the actions we want, and ultimately helps us create the results that we want in our life. That idea is my biggest helping that I'd like to leave uh, the group with here today. I love it. Absolutely fantastic. Dan, where can people find you? I have a website. It's dancassetta.com, D-A-N-C-A-S-E-T-T-A. So one S and two T's. You can find me there. I've got a lot of resources on uh, my website that are free. There's some blogs. There's some um, workbooks that you can download. And if you sign up for my email group, I send out very, very uh, uh, non-frequent emails, like once every two to four weeks. Uh, just lending some insights into things I'm thinking and tools that can be used for uh, with for people to help their teams with uh, the people that are around them with uh, that are personal development oriented and will help people to be more successful. So I invite people to check me out and uh, sign up for, to get some emails from me from time to time. Fantastic. And for those of you at the gym or on the road, we will have the links to everything Dan Cassetta, including his new book, Success Starts Today, at thedailyhelping.com in the show notes for his episode, as well as on the Daily Helping app available in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Well, Dan, again, I, I really loved it. This was a great chat. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Dr. Richard. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you who tuned in to this episode. If you like what you heard, Go subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 